and welcome back to the vaulting pod. Today I'm going to interview Joffrey Wilson, right? Did I say your name right? Yeah, fairly well. It's uh, Jeffrey Wilson. Jeffrey Wilson. If you're going to say it with the American accent. Oh my god. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. I like the American accent. Well, it's the one I speak most of, I think. <laughs> Great. Well, it's awesome to have you on board today for an interview. And we have been talking a little bit before the podcast just to like get into the feeling. And well, I would like to ask you the first question. Who are you? Yeah, how do you answer such a loaded <laughs> question? Uh, well, I mean, I guess just for the viewers, I'll say, yeah, my name's Jeffrey Wilson. I'm a, a three-star level vaulter in the U.S. Um, I've been vaulting for roughly about 16 years, um, and I've had quite the uh, the journey in that time with a lot of strange or odd or maybe not so usual experiences uh, for, I think, vaulters in general. Um, yeah, and we can get into all of that in the podcast, I suppose. That's awesome. Well, how did you get into vaulting? When would you start with that? Uh, well, it actually, I think, happened when I was about eight years old. Um, I have a little sister who has uh, mild cerebral palsy. And for those of you listening who aren't quite sure what that is, it's basically, um, you know, where maybe a part of your body, the muscle function isn't quite uh, as easy to use as, say, for the normal person. So uh, she might have trouble using these specific muscles for her. It's in the left half of her body. Um, and hers is a fairly mild case, but it was definitely something that required, you know, a bit of special attention to uh, help get the full mobility and movement in her body. So, um, you know, my mom was searching for something for her for quite some time. And, uh, we got this DVD in the mail one day back when like, you know, it was all on DVDs. Right. Um, and the DVD basically had this uh, video of therapeutic vaulting. Um, and it was uh, at a club about 15 minutes from our place. And uh, my mom's like, wow, this is great. Therapeutic movement from my daughter, horses, like what more could you ask for? You know, cause she's a huge animal person. My mom is, she worked as a veterinarian for a long time and, I kind of grew up in animal hospitals because of that. So, um, yeah, anyways, my, my mom's like, okay, we're going to do this. She would take my sister. And at that time, you know, my, my dad would be out at work when the lessons were, so I got, uh, you know, I had to tag along. Um, and honestly, I hated it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my, my sister, it was her thing and she did like a few lessons uh, per week and I would always have to go along and, in all honesty, I kind of hated horses. I, uh, my first horse experience wasn't too great. I was at a park on these, um, you know, small horse rides and the horse flipped out and I flew off and hit my head on a pole. So oh I my was God. Like, oh. yeah, I was like, horses, this is awful. Like, no way. These things are terrifying. Well, um, I share that experience with you just because it's a little bit funny. I fell off a blind horse. <laughs> Or it was half blind when I went to riding school as a child. So I stopped riding after that because I said, I'm never going to ride again after that. But yeah, I still love horses. <laughs> well, tell me more. How did you get back to that then? Well, wait, I mean, you like horses, obviously, today, right? <laughs> uh, you could say that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so uh, it basically kind of that after about maybe two or three weeks of these lessons, um, the coach there 
his name was Rick Hawthorne. He came up and he was like, Hey, do you want to get on the horse? And I was like, absolutely not. Like this, uh, <laughs> I want to go home. And, you know, my, my mom, uh, decided to bribe me I think with uh McDonald's that day right she's like you know stop at McDonald's on the way home if you just like get on the horse oh really my god yeah right well yeah I I was kind of terrible at most sports as a kid like the only thing I was really good at was running I had um uh, at a fairly early age um like an Olympic mile time so it was wow. very like that was my thing um, but I hated running too, you know, honestly, I just hated those forms of sports. You like, were just good at it. So you did it because you were good at it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I needed something that I could thrive in, I think. Um, and I definitely didn't expect that to be vaulting, but anyways, they got me up and, uh, and I was like, this isn't so bad. And my mom's like, we're going to sign them up for lessons. And then I think she brought me back to class. I didn't have knowledge of that. She's like, yeah, you're in the class, honey, go for it. And I was like, oh my God. Um, so, you know, then we started with that and uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, that's about how it got started, more or less. She bragged you with McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, she had to bribe <laughs> me to basically start my passion in life. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, humble beginnings. <laughs> Well, how old were you when you got into competition for vaulting then? Oh, geez. Competition, I must have been, uh, I want to say nine years old, because I think it was within the next year. Um, I started at the end of uh, 2006, I believe. So maybe it's actually closer to 15 years I've been vaulting, roughly 15, 16, okay. somewhere in there. Um, and uh I believe it was 2007 that I had my first competition. It was um, actually at a competition called a face-off, uh, which was, uh, you know, Devin Matozo, he used to hold a competition for his club face, which I think Christian right. mentioned in the one. Yes, podcast. yes, face um, Walters, right? Yeah, free artists, creative equestrians. Yeah. And um, so when he would hold this competition, you know, a lot of clubs would go. And uh, it was in the Southern California area, which is where I'm, from and currently living so it made sense like to go to that one and I remember I, I did a, a walk division and I uh, I won a pink fifth place ribbon that was my first ribbon ever so a pink one did you like yeah. pink back then uh, you know it it's kind of funny I think if I think back to that point in time it's like you have the mentality of a kid and for like male children it's always like the debate is pink masculine like oh like if you can pull off pink then you're like yeah yeah it's great but then I don't know yeah I, I think I was indifferent to it I was uh like oh great pink fifth place ribbon awesome kind of didn't really care that much to be honest like <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that I really grew into vaulting until quite some years later um on a more emotional end right all right yeah. well what is your emotional connection to vaulting then oh geez well You know, I, I think we're going from zero to a hundred real fast in this conversation. <laughs> Sorry, um, if I'm getting it too no, deep, just tell no, me you're stuff. Good, you're good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're moving fine. I think, you know, the, uh, the emotional connection, um, I mean, it really at this point comes from all of the years of, of struggle and hardship and, and persistence and uh, bonding with the horses and finding the right people in the sport. Um, you know, I guess now to get into the deeper end of the conversation. Uh, <laughs> We vaulting, can start up lighter. <laughs> all 
Oh, no, this is great. I, I'd say we dive right into it. The vaulting was, um, you know, it was kind of a, a controversial thing for me in the beginning because at first I didn't really want to do it. After a while, I grew to actually hate it because, uh, you know, it, that was the sport that I got placed in. My mom just wouldn't let me quit. You know, at that point I had tried everything and she's like, you need to be with something and horses are a good thing. And like, was she you know, like your pushing mom? Like, you know, the competition moms who want you to badly be something. No, no, not at all. She's more of an encouraging type that just wants to see her children be happy. And basically for me at that time, um, I believe like around this time is, is shortly after my uh, grandma and my great grandma passed two weeks apart. And I was really close with them um, as a small child. And so uh, she could kind of tell I wasn't quite the same after that. Um, in fact, if I think back to that, there's like a huge emotional memory gap that I don't really remember. And I think that's like, you know, some inner turmoil that I struggled with at that time that I just can't really, you know, recall. Um, but so the horses for her was, as I think, her way of having me do something uh, therapeutic on the emotional end, right? And so I got pretty depressed um, from a combination of uh, some family and friend deaths. And then also in school, I got made fun of for vaulting all the time. Because, um, you know, I went to public school. Uh, kids are pretty unforgiving there, you know? It's like in the school environment, I would uh, try to share and relate my experiences with vaulting to, you know, other people in their sports. But then to everybody else, I was like the weird kid in spandex on horses, you know, and you get like all these weird, like, uh, and you just get a lot of name calling and a lot of uh, people who don't quite approve because they just don't understand it, right? So to them, it's like, oh, you're just like some like weird, you know, kid who likes horses and whatever, you know, you could go on to a lot of more explicit um, uh, insults on that topic as well, but... <laughs> Well, to me, you sound like a really, really strong person because getting through that and not stopping with what you like is actually quite strong. And I mean, as you say, being being a guy, having spandex, doing a horse <laughs> sport, it's like typical things that women, sadly, are put into. And I think it's awesome that you continue because you can be a role model for so many other boys and and men who would like to do something like this i mean there are a lot of people who who are afraid of doing what they love just because they're afraid of what other people think about them um but yeah no i appreciate that that compliment i mean i think you know that that's just a little bit of the tip of the iceberg to be honest it's um <sighs> i i would agree looking back on in hindsight you know back at the time it was just kind of like i think i was taking it day by day And um, I remember one thing that really helped me at that time was uh, the club I was at actually had quite a few guys for an American club. Like it's not common for there to be many guys in U.S. Well, clubs, it's right? not common anywhere. And I don't know a lot of boys or male vultures in Sweden. I actually only know one who I think stopped who is a grown up male in Sweden. So it's really uncommon okay. everywhere, I think. Maybe not in France, but. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So I had those few guy friends and, you know, they were also weird guys. And so we just kind of had our own thing going for a bit where it was like a practice. We could just be like the weirdos spazzing out the little kids who are just like, 
you know, and enjoying each other's company. And it didn't matter if other people made fun of us because we had each other. Right. So I just uh, have to, would... uh, to um, say something here because about male vaulters. Um, I recently saw a video from a guy from Denmark. Um, his name is Thomas. And he has such a good saying. And that is, if a man can put on a spandex, he is a real man. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, that statement is so true. So true. I mean, and not just for vaulting, but for any sports like dance or, or, or ice skating. I mean, those things are so physically taxing to do, right? Like, uh, people don't quite understand the, the control and the mobility and the, uh, the, the athleticism that goes into that. Um, but yeah, yeah. So then, you know, after a few years of that, I got to a pretty dark place in the sport where eventually, you know, I, I guess for lack of a better term, I'll be a pretty open book. I came to a very suicidal point. And I actually, you know, attempted to take my own life at one point. And so that was sort of a, I think, a turning point for me. Um, now, this is this is years later after this. I think this is about 2012 or, or early 2013 um, when I hit that point. And basically, I failed at doing it. You know, it wasn't such a, <laughs> I messed it up. Uh, thank God. But, um, you know, at that point, then I was like, you know, I need to do something about this, right? Like, I need to get to a better mental place. And so uh, vaulting was definitely instrumental in that for me, because I was like, you know, I've stuck with it this long, I've been doing it, what happens if I actually try, right? Like, until this point, I I had tried a little bit, like I had won now at this point, two national championships in separate divisions. Um, but even so, I think it was a bit of blind luck because in 2011, I won, uh, my first bronze championships, the first place in our bronze division, which is, uh, at the time it was the, um, you know, out of the four divisions in Cantor for us, it was copper, then bronze, then silver, then gold. Right. And, um, so that was a fairly big deal. And then, you know, the next year uh, I had a hard competition season, but then I won silver. And so I, I had tried a little bit at that point, but in all honesty, most competitions and practices, I fell off the horse. Like I was not that uh, seasoned of a vaulter. I just got lucky, I think. Um, <laughs> well, sometimes yeah. you need a little bit of luck. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, uh, luck is an underrated tool in a lot of people's toolboxes, right? So <laughs> I wish I had more of that, but I fail all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Failure is a good thing because I think people who, who fail more are going to reach the successful point quicker, or at least if they reach the successful point, uh, after failing a lot, they're going to know the value of it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so with that, you're going to learn all of the life lessons that come with it and all of the experiences that a lot of people who just kind of found their way to the top aren't going to necessarily have, right? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, let me just get so, back to one thing you had just recently said, because um, since we have a lot of listeners from all around the world, I just want to say that if anybody that listens does feel feelings of not wanting to live anymore, please don't be afraid to get in touch with somebody and talk because I think the most important thing here is to talk uh, and let another person know how you feel because the other people around don't know. And I think that every person in life 
once or another time will feel very down and I mean of course there's still a big step to try to attempt suicide but there are people that can get into that situation as you're telling and I think you're such a strong and powerful person to talk about this issue and we don't have to like dig deeper into it but I just want to say it's you can be really proud of yourself to just lift this because it's a big issue and we have a big issue with mental health and also in our sport not only with how we push um, one another or ourselves to do things but also when it comes to competing you want to push yourself harder and harder or how you look like being small and looking good and stuff because it is a spandex sport right you see everything <laughs> so oh, i yeah. just wanted to make a note about this because it's really important that everybody who listens knows that please get in touch with somebody if you feel emotions and feelings like that yeah absolutely i second uh what you said that's yeah i think it's a a pretty surprising thing how many people can actually be dealing with those thoughts because one thing uh, that a lot of those people are good at is often hiding it, you know, hiding it behind uh, humor or laughing or, or um, projecting a certain image and then, you know, really in private struggling with it more like uh, some people could tell that I was dealing with it, but a lot of people did not know I was dealing with it on that level at the time. Also, um, there's another thing that, when you feel or or not or you're not sure about another person is feeling it in that way one thing that is really important is to ask a lot of people are afraid of asking because they're afraid of the answer or don't know how to ask but well this is my background i'm a nurse so i have worked with mental issues with myself with other people so i'm talking with experience ask so i think it's really important um to to ask and yeah just ask the questions. Ask the question. Do you feel that you don't want to live anymore? That is really, really important. And oh, yeah. To help the person Absolutely. to find help. So, yeah. But, but yeah, as you say, you can't see it and some people notice it and some don't because they're too occupied with themselves. Well, let's talk about something more happy. <laughs> if you want to. Well, you know what? We're going to get into a nice light question here. What's your training out? What's your favorite training outfit in color? <laughs> training outfit. Oh, you know, probably um, if you see me in the warm up arena, like on the day before the competition or something, in an all black outfit with my white vaulting shoes, then you know I'm showing up to do some work. Like it, it's sort of like that's like my power move outfit, right? In life, too. Like if I'm just wearing all black with like my white shoes, it's kind of like. Um, I don't know, like symbolic in a sense, I guess, right? To me. Like Superman so. suit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's nice. Uh, well, I I wonder where do you get your inspiration from? Oh, geez, my inspiration. Well, I feel like at this point, you know, in all my years of vaulting, it's been a lot of different places. Um, in the earlier days of my vaulting, I often got my inspiration from... Uh, different stories of heroes and such like that. And whether it be like books or movies um, and just overcoming struggle since I was dealing with a struggle and then to have a hero who deals with this huge struggle and overcomes it was always inspiring to me. And so with vaulting, it, it kind of took that same course for a while where I was like, oh, it's, you know, so tough to be at the top. Uh, but to overcome that hurdle, I think is, is a big thing. Right. Um, and I'd say at this point in my vaulting career, it's now shifted to 
uh, I get my inspiration from uh, actually uh, hugely within looking back on what I've overcome and then knowing uh, what I'm capable of is always inspiring in the moments that I'm feeling down. And then also uh, from, you know, one of the big places is my friends, like my friends and my family really like, uh, I feel like there's never been a point in which I talk more with my, uh, my parents um, or with, you know, my really good friends, like, uh, you know, one of my, my best friends in the whole entire world um, is actually Daniel James. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we have this whole little group of vaulting guys, you know, him, Christian, me. Uh, we have a friend named Caleb who competed with us for a few years and then quite a few others. Um, I'd say that's like our, our main, main group. You like uh, the secret uh, boy gang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the, the grown-up version, right? Um, but yeah, yeah. Daniel and I actually like, I I'd say we draw a lot of inspiration off of each other because we both knew each other back when we were awful at vaulting, like way back in the day, uh, when we were both scoring last place all the time. And we were just like horrendous at vaulting in all honesty. Like we look back at our routines and laugh now. Um, but, uh, yeah, we would just travel to each other's places. He lived up in Washington state. Um, and I lived, you know, down in Los Angeles, California, and, and we would travel back and forth and just see each other and hang out and vault sometimes because that was like, you know, it, it was just such a pure friendship with good energy that has lasted all the way through now. Um, and we've been through a lot of serious stuff together and we've often, you know, when it comes down to big life moments or choices, we're always discussing it with each other. So it's like, it's a big deal. Um, that friendship, you know, it's, it's really a, a brotherhood. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't so it's, it it's a been, little bit with vaulting that you can get really good relationships with people that you would never imagine. I mean, Washington is not around the corner for you, right? How far is it? <laughs> yeah, I know Washington is, uh, well, to his point from my place, it's about a 23 hour drive. Oh or my God. Like um, I've done the drive a few times, but, you know, flying was preferred for that, uh, trip. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, eventually distances all just become, uh, relative, right? Like at this point, um, my vaulting situation is really interesting because the club I vault with on the com competitive level is, um, Pacific coast vaulters, which is actually up, uh, you know, where Christian is from and where Daniel vaults and that's up in the uh, Woodside area, about an hour south of the San Francisco area. And that's about a six hour drive for me, yes. uh, one way, uh, 12, right. if you're looking both ways. And I do that actually every week now. No, um, really? No way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, well, God. yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, you know, I, I vaulted through quite a few clubs in my, my vaulting career. I started out at that one 15 minutes from my house after about six years, it demanded a more, um, uh, competitive approach. And then I went to, uh, well, we started a club called Los Angeles Equestrian Vaulters, which is Blake Dahlgren's club. Um, he was actually my coach back at that first club for the last two years. And then we started this new club, um, which is still going uh, about 25 minutes from my house. Um, and then after a while at that club, it was about at my first world championships in 2016. Um, after that, I uh, decided it was time for a change of uh, scenery and vaulting again. And I joined Devin Matozo's club for two years um, uh, at FACE. And then after that, I finally made the jump to Pacific Coast 
but that was just so out of the realm of possibility because of that drive. It was like, Oh, that's so far. Like I can't imagine it. Um, I also had, you know, an awful car on mileage. I drove this old truck around that, you know, uh, um, or, or yeah, yeah. Kilometers. So <laughs> um, bad for the environment also and expensive, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, I made do with what I had to get to practices. Yes, of course. So, um, but yeah, I mean, now uh, thankfully I got a car that's better on mileage and, uh, I'm able to go back and forth every week. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's not easy, but this year we're doing a team, uh, or squad. Um, and it's, it's pretty good. Like, you know, we've been working with some of the, uh, European clinicians over zoom and, and judges. Um, and we've come to a point where, you know, if we perform it, like it's meant to be performed, uh, we have a lot of good opinions that we can win a medal. Um, and so it's kind of worth it, you know, to drive that far, uh, every week because yeah. I feel like, there's maybe never been a better chance for uh, me to win a medal. Um, and it's never been easy. Every year there's some kind of struggle uh, and often a huge struggle. This year it's driving back and forth, but you know what? That's become a small thing now because it's sort of like when you want that thing uh, and when you have the right environment and the right people, it's worth every moment that you spend doing that. Yes, right? yes, of course. I, I travel to Denmark to <laughs> train with my friend but at the moment, it's not possible because of COVID, so the borders are closed. But for me, that is, it's three and a half hours with the train, and then I have to change the train for half an that goes like for one more half an hour. But the changes in the trains take some time as well. But I always think it's so worth it, even if I'm really, really tired. But I love it. I love every minute of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know the struggle. Then it's 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 a bit. <laughs> you have a vaulting club at home where you work or how do uh, how do you what do you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I do have a vaulting club in LA um, that is also about 15 minutes from my my current place of living and um, yeah that was kind of funny because uh, that first club that I ever vaulted at back in um, the end of 2018 when I left Devin Matoza's club, I was kind of floating for a bit, trying to figure out where to go. And um, I wasn't quite sure what to do. So my initial reaction was like, well, why not go back to the place that all started and see if I can find some inspiration there. And so I went there and their program was kind of not doing so well at the time. Um, and I was just kind of going there to do a few practices on the barrel and maybe, uh, you know, work with a few of the vaulters and it kind of turned into me coaching a lot of the club. Um, and then that happened for a while until eventually we realized we just needed to expand and grow again to get to a place of, uh, more competitive nature for the upper level, uh, kids that I was working with. And, um, so it was at that point, I think this is after I got back from Europe in 2019, it's the end of, uh, I think, September of 2019, I started uh, my club, the Shadow Hills Vaulting Club. Um, that's so awesome. Yeah. And so that's continued now. Uh, little did I know COVID would be around the corner and I'd have a tough first year having a club. Um, but, you know, we've made it work. You know, we have a, a, a good, reliable horse right now that we've 
been working with and we have um, a few other potentials that are we're trying to work with um, and then also uh, we have a movie so that's been really instrumental in like you know our, our kind of transition period with uh, horse use and uh, the amount of people that we're getting um, because that really gives us something for them to still train on so that we can spread out the horse use a bit easier um, and have something consistent for the rainy days since a lot of arenas here in California aren't covered. So when we go through our rainy season, uh, we often don't have a lot of horse time at all. All right. Well, I, I'm the first to write under to sign that the, the simulator is awesome. Uh, you maybe know I have one as well. It gives you right. so much possibilities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know all about it. I mean, it's just like, really, I think instrumental in, in helping somebody who doesn't have a lot of horse time proceed forward, right? The funny thing and, is that uh, some people were asking me, well, okay, so you took like a huge bank loan for that, you could have bought a new horse for that. And I was like, yeah, but you forget that the horse costs <laughs> all the time. And yeah. a lot of time, it needs time as well. And I mean, my simulator, I just plug it into the wall and it goes. And even if I need horse time as well, I know that I can get out more of it if I get a simulator first and then get a good horse. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's the main thing is it saved us a lot of overhead costs with uh, having another horse and it's provided the, uh, the rhythm of the cancer for the vultures to still train on all the time. And we never have to worry about it. And when I'm in LA, I have something to practice on as well. Um, because the only time I'm really on a horse uh, for vaulting is when I go up to my club, um, up near the Bay Area, Pacific Coast. And so, yeah, it's kind of uh, funny for a while. I wasn't really going up to Pacific Coast that often. Um, I was going maybe once a month if I was lucky uh, to go train on the horses, um, especially, say, through the 2019 season. Uh, I actually went and did AUK in that year. And before that competition, all of the, the year before, I had about seven horse practices <laughs> so that is really so awesome to hear because i mean you're really great at what you're doing at least i think that and probably a lot of other people too and i have always promoted the idea that you can be a good vaulter even if you don't have so many hours on a horse absolutely it's it's all about really how bad do you want it and, and using <laughs> what you have you know i mean yeah. i think that like I mean, honestly, I think that my vaulting career has taught me that uh, over and over again, you know, whether it's the amount of horse time I'm getting, the horses I have available, because some years it's been I'm on a different horse every competition um, because of the quality of horses we have at the time. Uh, or, you know, one year I, I got incredibly sick during the, um, the off season. This is actually leading up to World Equestrian Games from 2018. And I basically lost my entire off season and I had about, I think, two or three weeks before my first competition to try and get back into it. And so that season was really challenging. And I basically just had to go off of every competition uh, without any real prior practice. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I, I didn't make it to a top spot. I got alternate that year, but I was still only 0 0.003 away from getting one of those spots. So it was quite the challenge, but I think it's just uh, something that reminds me, you know, I was able to get that close regardless of not having what a lot of people had. 
you know. Yeah, but but tell me, how do you structure like your training? Because yeah, I'm sitting in the same chair, right, with having not a lot of horse time, <laughs> and I think there are a lot of people certainly during COVID that have less horse time, and maybe they have a wooden horse at least, or not a wooden horse, but. How can one do, do you think, to get to a higher level, even if they don't have a horse for that much time? Um, well, I think it's really about finding ways to implement the uh, kind of strength and mobility training that you need for the horse, right? So, uh, for instance, for me, I'm, I'm a huge gym guy. I love to go lift weight. Like, uh, resistance training has been kind of my savior when I really don't have horse time. And I, I focus on creating my training in a fashion that is going to help me in my uh, exercises that year, always for compulsories and then for whatever uh, freestyle and technical moves I have. Right. So there's that aspect. I think also um, people really underestimate the barrel and not even the moving one, just the stationary one, like yeah. to, uh, to have a barrel, it really, I think unlocks a huge potential because, um, you know, there's this, this thing that we try to do where we try to get, uh, about, <laughs> this is a lofty number, but about a thousand run throughs of each, um, event that we have to do, uh, at least when we're doing individuals, um, in whatever fashion that is, whether it's the barrel or the horse. Uh, and we try to do these run throughs before competition season. So it's like, if you think about doing a thousand run throughs of your freestyle or compulsories, um, that's actually quite a lot. Like in an average practice, you know, I, I think that most people are lucky uh, and exhausted by the time they to get to 10, right? Like that's, yeah. that's a huge effort to just do compulsories 10 times or freestyle 10 times. So to get that many run throughs through is really going to build the muscle memory that um, you need to then take it straight to the horse, you know? Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is I listened to uh, a podcast that is unfortunately only in German, but but she still does a great job. It's called Perform Your Best. She did an interview with uh, Lukas Wacher and Yasmin Lindner, the, yeah, uh, several times right. World Championship in Paris And they had for quite amount of time, no horse time. They did just as you say, they repeated on the barrel. They did intervals where they like get up on the horse do a round, take a short break and do it again and again because you get like your condition up to doing like for the horse. And I I think it's so awesome to hear that people who went to world championships and won it several times. I mean, they're one of the greatest Paradeur couples ever in vaulting history. And they had really just a wooden horse for a lot of time. And yeah. I think that says really a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that too often people um, put limitations on themselves based off of their scenario or their you know environment, like whatever their case is. They say, oh, I have these uh, problems. I don't quite have what other people have. And that means that it's going to be so much harder for me to get to that level that, you know, I, I, it's okay if I don't. And then when they accept that reality, they often are just not going to hit that level. Um, but if you say, yeah, that's the case, but I still have the potential to reach there. I just have to work harder, then work harder. You know, I think that like, yeah. if you're going to be the best or try to be the best, you've got to be working harder, even if you have the same stuff. So why not just continue that and try to get to a point where you can, uh, 
you can do it in the old, like, you know, Rocky Balboa fashion, right. Where, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those movies, but it's like, you know, especially in the first ones, he's, he's boxing against this guy named Apollo Creed and Apollo is like top of the top. And, uh, and it's really, he has everything he needs to be the best. And then Rocky is like this really, uh, poor guy, you know, living down in the slumps of Philadelphia. And he, uh, he goes into a meat freezer that his brother-in-law, uh, at the place his brother-in-law works at. He just starts boxing with the the hanging meat in the freezer. Cause that's what he's got. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, for him, that was all he needed. And he was just so determined and it was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best because you know, <laughs> this is what I got. And it's really like, you know, it, for any of you guys listening, that is a must watch if you're really a dedicated athlete, because those movies will inspire you unlike any other. Yeah. Right? I really have to watch it because honestly I haven't seen it, but it's probably because I don't watch so much TV because I'm like always busy, obviously. <laughs> If you Good watch morning. my Instagram, no, I'm just joking. But no, I'm I'm sometimes quite re restless. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of stuff because it makes me happy, and I want to. I have always goals and want to thrive forwards. As you say, do what you can with what you have, right? And yeah, I really can. I I I'm just thinking about Slatan, Slatan Ibrahimovic, one of the most famous Swedish football players in the world, right? He came from a spot in Sweden, in Malmö, which has, like, the most crappy conditions. He was playing, like, football on concrete in a little spot. So it is about what you make out of it. And as you say, how much does one want it? It's about how much you want it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I well, mean, without a doubt. But we have to talk about your crazy... Histories, you know, crazy uh, stuff that you have been telling me about that you have been around and what happened for you that that you had been through stuff that is quite crazy that you wanted to talk about. I'm so curious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's a whole plethora of stuff, honestly, things that um, <laughs> maybe don't necessarily all go together, but it's just experiences I've had. I mean, just weird stuff, right? Like from uh, the get go, it's like, uh, Some are, some are fun, some are warm-hearted, some are not so great, and some are extreme. But, like, to, I guess I'll just start off in the order of earliest to latest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's funny to be on this world championship-level team now and training for, for trying to go win a medal this year because my first team experience was actually a trot team that I did with my mom. So No, really? Mom, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so my mom was on the team with me. No and uh, we actually went and took, I think it was third place that year at the national championships. So it's like, you know, I, I feel like I don't know if anybody else can say that they went and won a national uh, title with their mom. Right. Like, I mean, going to a competition is one, t one thing, but like going and win a medal. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny because my team experience on that note, the next time I would ever be, Uh, well, I did a C team, which is our, our lowest level cantor team in time, All right. um, which was actually my first exposure to the coast because we went up to go borrow a horse from them for the national championships. Um, and, uh, so I had that experience in between this and the next one, but the next one was actually at 2016 worlds. Um, I really didn't have much team experience under my belt. Like the trot team, incredibly different from actually doing a real canter team, right? And the C team, I had a super small part that 
was just basically so that I would, you know, help them to have a full team because they didn't have another Balter who was really going to, you know, fill the gap. Um, so 2016 was interesting because I was actually training to be an, an individual all year. And, uh, I think Christian kind of touched on this topic last time. Uh, but it was when we were training in Munich, uh, Germany about, I think two weeks before the world championships, uh, in Le Mans, we, uh, we had this accident at training where, you know, Christian broke his leg in the handle. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. So when he broke his leg, then, um, you know, the, the team was kind of in this precarious position, right? Because uh, Christian is a really great vaulter. And the talents that he brought to the squad were kind of unique in the sense that he could do these, um, you know, certain agile moves around the horse or the backflip dismounts or things like that, that, you know, we didn't really have anybody else who could take the Christian spot. And so it turned out that I would take that spot because I could do a lot of those things. And so we had to modify the routine because obviously I'm stepping onto a, a world-class team two weeks before uh, the championships. Um, but we modified it and then we made that work. And so it was just kind of like surreal to last minute have this event thrown in, you know. Um, I think that was also kind of weird because that whole time I had been trying and trying like for years at this point to get to worlds as an individual. And I had finally gotten that uh, ability. But then once the team thing happened, all of my training focus shifted to that because when you're on, you know, team USA, it's really the focus is the team. Of course. And you make uh, sure that you take care of the team. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, you know, I feel like my individuals kind of suffered from that. I still had the ability to do well, but that combined with, um, you know, uh, the, the horse I went on at the time was actually not as experienced as uh, one would hope, uh, but I didn't quite learn that until a little bit later. Um, it, it was actually his first big competition was World Championships. Oh, what? So, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, you know, I mean, it, uh, no blame on the horse because I think he did the best he could, you know, and he yeah. was really a great horse who had a lot of potential. Um, but yeah, it didn't go so well. And in all honesty, I was kind of crushed because I think that I could have scored extremely well for my first championships. Uh, but because of the combination of things that happened, I ended up getting dead last at that, which was kind of heartbreaking and really crushing, right? Like I remember going back to the tax stall and just bawling my eyes out. Like I was crying in there for like two hours because everything I had worked for to that yeah. point was just crushed in an instant, right? Like yeah. in the worst way possible, like finally I'm on the world stage in front of everyone. And then instead of being able to show what I could do, uh, I just had the unexpected happen. And so it was like, oh man, that just happened. But that was sort of a turning point as well, where, you know, if you have the worst thing happen to you, then you're not really worried about things moving forward once you realize nothing worse can happen than that, right? Like, I mean, the only thing worse would maybe be an injury, but I wouldn't really mind that because, you know, for me at this point in life, some emotional pains are worse than any physical pain I would have had to deal with. So it really becomes more about like, okay, I've experienced the worst, I can handle it. So let's go for it again and let's do it better. And um, I think that is really valuable valuable lesson because when you know how you feel when you're at your worst you can appreciate when you are at your best 
as you said before, when you have to work hard for the success, you will know how it feels and you can appreciate it much more and you will learn faster also. But yeah, it's really something into it. And I think that people need bad experience and being at their low to really appreciate what they have. And when it is in the good, when it is good, when it's feeling good. And I mean, COVID really made me like, I, I can't, as you said, it can't get worse. This is about how this is with COVID. So nothing touches me anymore because, yeah, what can be worse? Oh, it's fine. No competition this year either? Oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be strengthened by this, in all honesty. Like, it's, it's of course, it's terrible. I mean, it, it affected all of us, and it's something that's quite uh, devastating. But yes. I think, you know, we don't really have a choice but to get through it. Right. Most of us. Um, and, and without getting too dark on that subject, I think that it's, uh, uh, you know, most vaulters, if not all vaulters, I think we'll get through this and come to a point where, um, you know, they have a thirst to do well in vaulting because they can. Right. They understand the value of not having vaulting. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people without this, I don't think would have ever really understood. Right. So. It's a, it's a big deal. Funny thing is uh, that I just recently discovered that, I, I, yes, of course, I want to go to competitions, but my life doesn't differ so much from it because I still don't have so much horse time in my home. I, I need to travel as you. I, I travel about four hours to get to the club I, I train and, and compete at. So my training at home doesn't differ very much. I still do the same and that makes me happy because that means I have like built a foundation that works and I think that can be a learning experience from COVID to find how can I work out my life even if I don't go to competitions is there a structure that is not only about competing then I think you have a good structure which which can last for a long time and hopefully a whole life yeah exactly you know I, I think it's like um like a lot of experts say that it takes 22 days of doing something to build a habit out of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's even more for things that are a bit more uh, nebulous or take up more time. Um, and, uh, really having a structure or a plan is kind of like a big deal and it doesn't have to happen right away, but if you find a path that you can go with, it's important to chase that. Like right now, um, you know, my week, uh, kind of goes as such where, um, Saturday night, I drive up north, uh, six hours from, uh, six in the afternoon up to about midnight. I get there, I go to sleep. And then the next morning at 8am, we have training, um, with the squad and then we do the squad training. And then there's a bit more other individual practices and other things to do that day. Um, you know, I, I also will work some during that time, like on my, my computer. And then the next day, uh, it's the same deal work in the morning, squat in the mid afternoon, then more work later. And then, uh, the day after that it's work in the morning and squad. And then I drive home Tuesday night. Um, and then Wednesday morning, I usually go work out. You know, I would be working out this morning, uh, if I didn't need this rest day, which is great because then we can have this podcast. Yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then after that, I, uh, I have to get more work done. I have to catch up on errands and get other things and make sure that I'm there in time for my, uh, 
my club practice, which is in the afternoon. And I coach and lunge at that. And then, you know, go to bed next day, wake up, work out, do my vaulting session, do my therapeutic session, uh, like therapeutic vaulting. That is, I, I have a class for that oh, as well. At my club. That's lovely. And, oh yeah. Well, you know, it's, I, I worked with therapeutic vaulters for about six years. Um, when I first started vaulting too, like at that same club. So I have a quite a background in that as well. Um, and that's, that's something I think is important to keep going because there's not enough places to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, I have that class and then, uh, you know, get home, do a bit more work that usually will take until about, you know, 10 or 11 and then go to bed, uh, wake up, work out, uh, get other things done. Usually there's always some random nebulous things I have to get done every week while I'm home and then, uh, go coach again later that afternoon. Um, and lunch. And then the next morning I get up, I'm at the barn at nine. I coach from nine to about three and then, uh, you know, get a quick lunch and then I drive up North again. And so it's like a whole <laughs> process, like, you know, where, uh, I really don't have much time in the week, but that is no reason why something can't be done. I mean, it's like, I remember hearing, uh, I'm really hazy on these details, but it's like with Christina Bow, she was doing something like studying full-time to become a surgeon, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I think she's an acute care doctor, uh, from what I remember. Okay. But yes, of course, doctors studies really hard ones, yeah. Yeah, so she has all of those studies. I think she also maybe worked a job and had to vault. And, you know, it's like all of these things together is like, that's so much time just gone. And so, but she was still able to be as good as she was with that. And I think that's an important thing to to recognize is that just because you have a lot to do um, doesn't mean that it's impossible. You just got to really figure out how to make it work and, and kind of get outside of your comfort zone of structure, right? Like I might not get a lot of sleep that night, but I sleep is important. So if I can fit in like a 30 minute nap during the day or, or like, you know, this like uh, uh, hour nap, like when somebody else is driving me somewhere uh, up North or, or something, just squeeze in the times. Like it's not convenient, but you can get it done. And uh, this isn't necessarily a way to always live life, but when you're training to go win a world championships, it's like you, you do that for a period of time, right? You have to want it. You have to have the, the willpower and the discipline to just figure yeah. it out. and make. I it mean, happen. I think that, you can like achieve whatever you want to if you decide to do it um but you always have to think about the consequences that how much work do you have to put into it what do i have to sacrifice for it and for for me personally it's yeah watching tv shows and and movies but i don't feel bad about that i i'm not sad for that and of course sometimes as you say when you really have to squeeze in a lot in a short amount of time sometimes you just need like okay take a weekend off and now i'm not doing anything and then after that i feel good again it's like charging the batteries so yeah you can go a lot to yeah work a yeah, lot make but sure then you take a little break and then it's fine again Exactly. And, and making sure you take care of your body, however that is during that time too. I mean, and listen, you know, to it it. Is not listen to it. Always. Yeah. It, it is not easy to train at that level. Like every week I, I see my chiropractor every week I'm doing, um, you know, uh, ice baths and, um, and cupping massages and like 
uh, eating a certain amount of protein and fats and carbs every day. It's like, there's all these little subdivisions of things and drinking a gallon or more of water, you know, several, like four liters or more, but 3.5 liters or more, I think is more accurate, but well, a lot of liters of water per day. Somewhere, which is very, very warm. So we have to say that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's fairly, it gets hot here. Yeah. Last year, I think we had, um, uh, we had a day that was, uh, 128 Fahrenheit, which I think is I'm searching it right now. It's 53.333 degrees what? Celsius. Yeah, oh that, my God. That was the hottest day on record for Los Angeles, at, you know, just so everybody knows. That's like um, Africa. That was, yeah, it's the kind of heat that we dealt with last year. So it's like it can get pretty intense now. During those days, the horses don't do anything. Yeah. But you know what? Like, you got to be careful about it, but if you can work in a training that day as yourself and you know you can take it and you do it smart, you, you hydrate well and you limit the workout, you know, you can still get that training in, even if it's just stretching. Like, you yeah, gotta, yeah, gotta right. Take- but it's a nice day for stretching because then it's like almost sauna stretching, right? And that's comfortable. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love the saunas. You know, I used to go sauna and steam room all the time, but uh, with COVID, they closed a lot of them down. So, I'm just waiting for that. I love that so much. I um, have a friend in Austria and she lives in a big house with her family and also her grandparents and they have a sauna in in uh, in the basement and I'm so jealous of her. I want to have a house with sauna just for myself because sauna is so nice after workout. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, one day we'll have those. Like like <laughs> I'm I need the same thing. We'll make it happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We decide that now we're going to have a sauna for each, for each and one of us in the future. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, but yeah, I guess. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. You, you were talking about, um, uh, about the therapeutic, uh, vaulting and I would like to uh, dig into a heartwarming story because you were saying that you also had some heartwarming stories. Tell me. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's quite a few, uh, I, I suppose I'll, I mean, they're, they're all similar premise. Um, but I mean, for instance, I think that, you know, some with the therapeutic vaulting is really interesting because I've worked with some who, uh, you know, they were never supposed to walk again. And then it's like, after, you know, months of this therapeutic vaulting training, you see them walk, right. And the doctors are baffled. Or like I, I work with this one kid right now who has cerebral palsy, just like my sister. And um, he, uh, when he started, he could hardly hold himself upright on the horse. And now we're doing actual canter rounds where he's putting his arms out and supporting himself by himself. And even if there's a lead change on the horse and the, the horse switches down to trot or something, like he can support it and catch himself. Like it's it's really amazing. And, you know, watching the parents just in awe about how their children are are, are gaining this kind of, uh, ability and, and, you know, watching the, the children also come to a point where, uh, they just have more energy and they're excited about the class is like, it's pretty insane and, and surreal. And I think, you know, it's, it's often, it's just really rewarding too to, to see that and know that I was able to help them with that, you know? Um, I, yeah. I just spoke to my lender today because we went to try out a horse at a club and we're talking about that vaulting is really underestimated as a sport and it's so weird why not the horse community is much more keen about vaulting because for one part 
you need less horses per person if you do vaulting because you can have like up to 10 kids with one horse for one session depending on how you divide it and how old they are and what level they are but I mean in the same way with therapeutic vaulting I mean that's even better than riding therapeutic riding is not good in the same way I believe as vaulting because you have a good handles to hold on and a great pad so I'm I'm just so sad that the writing community and in the world does not understand how great vaulting is for in so many aspects. Also in Germany, usually vaulting is used for uh, kids before they go to writing school because they want right. the kids to learn to have balance and feeling safe on the horse. So yeah, and if you when you're telling about that, I'm I'm so happy to hear that because. There should be more writing schools offering therapeutic vaulting. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, our our barn um, actually did do that before we came, but in a much smaller fashion. It's not quite as um, extensive as how uh, I do it with my club. But, um, you know, I think the main reason that you don't see that on either the uh, normal recreational, the competitive or the therapeutic end in more places is I think because of the lack of understanding of proper vaulting around everywhere, right? Like um, it, it's more often than not, I find clubs that, you know, maybe have uh, not the right adjustments for, for the horse with the tack and they aren't lunging correctly. And, you know, they, uh, the, the horses aren't quite safe. They maybe are doing stuff like on the circle for the horses that aren't quite good. The vaulters are, not trained in a way to consider the horse so much. And, you know, when you walk into a, a nice barn uh, where people uh, have a lot of high standards for their horses, and then you have this one vaulting club that uh, just isn't fully educated about how to do it in a proper manner for both the horse and the vaulters. Um, I think it can come across as, you know, maybe not being great for the horse or the people. Like that's where you get these people who think like, oh, like vaulting such a, a bad sport for the horses and you're abusing them and this and that, which is absolutely not true if it's done properly. Um, but I think that there are a lot of places that uh, attempt to start a vaulting club without a full understanding of how to uh, properly care for the horses and their health and, uh, you know, for the safety of the vaulters. Um, cause especially to train the horses, it's like, you don't want them on the circle all the time, yeah. right? Like for us, it's like, we do most of our training through dressage and, and riding for the horses than we do for the actual circle. Like when we're up at Pacific coast, it's, uh, it's mostly all dressage for the horses. And then, um, there will be, uh, about our, our sessions are probably about 15 minutes on the circle maximum. And, yeah. you know, we get the lesson done quick with the horses, but we're effective with it. And the horses are then uh, in good health for a longer period of time and, and really don't go lame that often at all. Um, you know, it's like right now with my club, like in the whole time that we've had our program going, we have not had a lame horse yet. And that's something that I think is like, it, it kind of astounding because at every club I've been at, I've always suffered that problem. And so just having the right people in my corner to help me understand what to do has been instrumental in that. Um, because starting a new club was obviously a whole new realm. I had lunged before. I hadn't really ridden before, so that was new. Um, and 
you know, it, it, I needed those people to, to help me along and to understand to become a, a professional level club, right? So that's probably why you don't see more of it uh, because it's just not so understood uh, in the correct fashion. <laughs> yeah, I so agree with you. And also the understanding that, like as we were talking about barrel training and simulator training, that it relieves the horse from being um from having to put up with kids who 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 don't have the feeling yet for the horse because you can learn that in a safe surrounding on a wooden horse or or a cantering barrel and and that is such a great thing for horses welfare and i think this is a thinking that also the riding world would profit from because if would i mean you could just do Uh, sit seat schooling on wooden horses for riders with saddles or yeah vaulting gear doesn't matter but yeah I'm so with you that the gear and the proper training on how to lunge a horse is something that lacks uh, and and it's quite sad I think that there are so many bad vaulting uh, girths on the market you know the cheap ones that are really really crappy there's just either you get the really expensive uh, competition um, girths which are obviously the best ones for the horse or you get the really cheap ones there's nothing in between um, right. maybe the old ones but they're hard to get because the sport is so small so I would really appreciate if somebody could come up with girth that is affordable for more, more clubs so they can give the horse a good girth and also the kids or or people even if they're grown-ups a, a good girth and then the lunging don't get me even started on that it's awful how people they can't lunge because they're walking with the horse they having the, the lunging line so short and they they really don't communicate good i mean if you're riding you can't like tell your horse all the time like go 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 and you're like pulling on the reins you wouldn't do that but when you're lunging you do that because you don't know how to handle it and i have seen that people who um are a little bit older like 40 or 50 50 60 plus are much better in lunging than younger ones and i think here it is uh lack of um, education that we put up more proper education in horse management in handling the horses in earlier days at least here in Europe or in Sweden and this is about to lack I mean the riding schools they have the horses brushed and ready for the children to come they don't even have to brush the horse I mean for me it's losing horsemanship if you just go yeah. to the riding school put up a saddle and go riding really That, that is so awful for me because then you lose yeah. the contact with the horse. Then it is not a, it's not the sport for me anymore. It's like just a machine. And for me, yeah, I think that the communication and the contact you get with the horse when you brush it and when you talk with it and when you learn what it likes and what it doesn't like, you learn a lot about the horse. And, and yeah, it's really sad. It's, it seems to me it is an issue on a bigger scale. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think on that note, I've been pretty blessed to have uh, Carolyn Bland, um, who's, you know, one of my coaches right now. Um, and she's uh, lunged at so many world championships and, and for some of our gold medalists here in the U.S. 
um, as you know, my current lunger, because she's really given me a lot of help and tips on how to uh, proceed forward with the issues I encounter with my horse. Um, awesome. And so it, it's been great. But uh, yeah, on that note too, it's kind of funny. Like um, I've also had to teach somebody how to lunge. Like uh, obviously, I can't teach them in depth, but how to lunge like within a few minutes span of time too. Uh, like when I was doing that, uh, I don't know if you saw my whole music video, um, that we did on Instagram a while yeah, ago. I think I saw it. It was awesome. Oh, Hey, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny that project I'll, I'll get into that in a minute, but basically with the lunging, it was like, uh, the person who I had lunging the horse had lunged horses before, but only to exercise them, not to lunge them for ball. Yeah. So it was quite the experience trying to vault on the horse while, uh, having a, a lunger who is experienced in that fashion, but not so much in the vaulting sense. Um, cause we, we did this shoot out in the desert. Right. And it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Like we, uh, basically the project kind of started where this agency that I was working with was, um, they were in contact with this, uh, uh, like ballroom dancer. Right. Um, her name's Anastasia and she basically wanted to do some kind of photo shoot on the horse. Um, you know, and, and me being the vaulting part of this agency, uh, it's the best fit for that. So we're like, okay, let's, uh, let's figure it out. You know, we'll try and do some kind of dance poses on the horse. We'll figure a few moves out on the barrel and then we'll go take some test pictures and figure out how we want to proceed with this and where we want to do it. And so the idea was that we were just going to do a photo shoot, and it was going to be maybe down the street at this location we scoped out. And it was going to be in like this certain kind of clothing and be like resume photos, basically. Yeah. Um, but then when Anastasia was at a party one day uh, with a few of her, her friends and contacts, um, she basically ran into this uh, this person who owned an international fashion magazine. And, uh, she was, you know, talking with her and then she's like, oh yeah, look at these photos. This is like something we're working on. And then this one, Victoria Pachuta is her name. She was like in love with the idea immediately. And so then, you know, we started getting these messages in the, the conversation about this and we're, you know, we're thinking like, wait, is this like real? Like what's going on? And then the next idea was, okay, we're going to have a photo shoot for this international fashion magazine. And then, you know, that was proceeding yeah but then after that victoria's like no i also want to make like a, a video for mercedes-benz film festivals for it and so she had done a lot of film festivals before and i guess it was a pretty big deal but we didn't quite understand how big until we uh we proceeded forward so at this point anastasia and i are doing like uh 6 a.m practices um every day that i'm in town right and uh and we're working on these these uh this routine on the movement or on the movie. Um, and then we would take it to the horse and, and that was always so funky because honestly, Anastasia was not too comfortable on the horse. Like she had never vaulted before, but she was doing high level, um, movements on the horse. And so it was like, uh, quite a challenge for me as a base too. You know, it's always like easier to base when you're, you're basing somebody who's experienced on the horse. Yeah, but, of course. Yeah. It's it kind of works. Could do. A lot of trust. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, honest, I think it was a great, uh, conditioning for eventually moving on to this squad this year, because, 
uh, it's way easier to base on the squad. <laughs> no, no, not to Anastasia because she's she's great and she tried her hardest. But you know, in all honesty, that is a really uh, challenging um, thing to do. And so we worked on this for probably I think about two months. Uh, but then I was actually going to leave for Norway to go clinic, right? And so we had to get this video done soon. Otherwise, it wouldn't get done until like late October. And maybe the weather wouldn't be right at the location. And there wouldn't be all these uh, opportunities that we had then. So we worked on it. Uh, we got it done. And then, you know, we loaded up the horse uh, the day before I left for Scandinavia, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the day before I left for Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did this video shoot. So we did it all in one day. <laughs> and wow. it was like. Yeah, we, we, I get to the barn at like 3, no, 2 a.m. We load up the horse by 3 a.m. And then we're, you know, off and driving to this place called the Lutheran Valley, which is basically an old dried lake bed. So, you know, you saw it in the video and the, the pictures, but it's just basically all miles of sand and, and flat and it's it's beautiful. And um, so we get out there and we start the project. And uh, yeah, it was so interesting. The morning was freezing. And then by the end of the day, it was like extremely hot. And so we dealt with all these different temperatures. We had to do all these different shoots and angles. And, you know, it, it was quite the process, but, uh, the product, um, blew my mind. It was beautiful because the day was kind of, uh, stressful, you know, for lack of a better term, it got to a point where I was like, Oh no, this is not going to be a good project. Like it's going to look not that great. Mm -hmm. And then when they came out with the product, it was just stunning, like really amazing. Yeah. Oh, really? I mean, that for me, the pictures and, and everything, it looked like a dream. It looked like really so cool. And, and knowing about the background, as you said, that the model was not a vaulter, it really makes it even greater when knowing that. Yeah, yeah. She she had done a lot of ballroom uh, and Latin dance, I think. And, and so it was a cool project to bring together these two worlds and create this uh, this music video of the the spirit of the horse and such. And, also, uh-huh. I love when vaulting takes place in, in bigger media, like you said, music videos, because I really think that our sport should be more known because it's such a great sport. I think that at least 80% of all the people start with vaulting can't get enough of it. At least they will get back to it when they're older or anything. Because it's such a great sport. And I mean, yeah, obviously I started when I was a child, did vaulting for two years, and then I got stuck again when I had the chance when I was over 20. So, yeah, I'm only yeah, one of those. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's also um, in that magazine all over the world. I think it's even sold in Sweden. So if you ever see oh. Basic Magazine, yeah. um, you know, you can find me in there in the, the middle section of the magazine. Um, it, it might be out now because it was an earlier issue so uh, I'm not sure if it's still in stores but it was around and I think it can still be ordered so it's pretty cool all right I think we're gonna put a link into the podcast about that (laughs) okay yeah I'll be sure to send that yeah you do Um, that I'll put it in for the listeners well uh and are there any more crazy stories you want to tell um well, you know, vaulting has also brought me across some interesting celebrities. Oh, really? Uh, you know, yeah, like two of the bigger celebrities I've met is um, is one time I was doing a demonstration actually with my first club, but just before my 2016 World Championship. So I wasn't currently vaulting with them, but I 
they were like, Hey, could you like come and do a demonstration with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I did this demo and uh, the demo went pretty well. You know, I performed my routine that I had that year and it was great and fun. And then we're just about to leave. And this guy comes up to us and is like, Hey, uh, do you want to meet Harrison Ford? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? Like, he's like, yeah, do you want to meet Harrison Ford? And I was like, I mean, I, I guess. And, uh, so for, for those of you who would somehow not know who Harrison Ford is, he's Han Solo from Star Wars or Indiana Jones. You know, he's a big, pretty big celebrity. Oh, no um, way. <laughs> yeah. And so we're like, yeah, I mean, sure. And he's like, okay, follow me. And I was like, what? And so we walk over and, uh, you know, we get to this little like uh, kind of gazebo area. And sure enough, out walks Harrison Ford. And I have this whole conversation with him where he's like, oh, I really enjoyed watching you. It was so cool. Like, you know, what's your name? This is great. We took a picture together, like unreal, you know, really crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's about the extent of the story, but it's just so random. Like it was, it was within a five minute period of time. They're just like, Hey, you want to meet him? We met him. And that was it. Like pretty unreal. Okay. Um, what did you talk with him about? Uh, just a bit about like vaulting. And he asked me about like how, you know, like how hard is it? Like, Oh, I could never do that. That kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I mean, okay. Like hair, like Han Solo and he had a Jones, like, you could, like whatever, like, uh, you could yeah, do I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it's kind of funny. I think I even tried to sell him on the idea because I really believe anyone can do vaulting. So I was like, I was like, oh, you know, you can try it. Like, we could get you up on the horse, this and that. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, sell him, like, trying to get him to come. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, so that was pretty cool, you know. Uh, very small conversation, but that was about the extent of the topics. And then, um, yeah, I also have met Jamie Foxx through, mm -hmm. uh, through vaulting as well. All right. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty intense. We actually went to his house. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, you do know Jamie Foxx? Well, I know he's a singer, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a singer. He's also been in a lot of movies. Um, you know, jeez, uh, what are some of his more well-known movies? Um, I mean, I know he did, like, Django Unchained. He's been in, uh, I think he was in Baby Driver, and he's done, uh, he was in an old Miami Vice remake. I mean, he's a huge celebrity in Hollywood, like, one of the top, in all honesty. He yeah. just has, like... He's a really behind the scenes kind of guy, but I think he has, I mean, his awards for all that he's worked on, all the movies and the the, the uh, videos are just unreal, like insane. Um, if any of you go Google Jamie Foxx right now, you'll see his face and you'll be like, oh my God, that guy. Um, <laughs> well, and, what uh, did you do at home with him then? You went to like a cool pool and had a, had a martini or, or a drink. <laughs> Oh, well, so basically what happened was this was while I was vaulting at Free Artist Creative Equestrians with Devin Matozo. Yeah. Um, we were we were just having a practice and we would always hear this music up on the hill. And it was like always blasting rap music. And we're like, uh, we were at a nice barn, like out in you know, really expensive barn. In all honesty, it was probably the nicest barn I've ever vaulted at. Um, <laughs> and uh, on a regular basis, that is, I mean, it's it was beautiful but we would always hear this music up on the hill next to it and we're like god like those people just need to shut up like who are they like you know during our practices they're just blasting music <laughs> and then yeah after a, a while um 
guess Devin was at the gas station getting gas and he ran into Jamie Foxx there. Like he pulls up, I think I may be wrong on this, but I, I think Devin said he pulls up in like a Lamborghini and then like gets out and it's Jamie Foxx. And so Devin's like, Oh my God, you're Jamie Foxx. And like, you know, has a conversation with him. And uh, I guess it came to a point where uh, Devin almost got Jamie to have uh, his, his kids vault with us. Right. But anyways, so they exchange contact information. He finds out through this, that Jamie Foxx is actually that house that's been blasting rap every night. And, and we're like, Oh my God, well, that makes it okay. You know? Um, and so we, uh, I, I, he talked with him for quite some time, I guess, over the course of a few months. And then eventually he messages Jamie while we're at practice. And then Jamie's like, yeah, you know, I'm having a party today. Why don't you guys come up? And we're like, no way. So, you know, paint this picture in your mind. Like everybody's in spandex and practice clothes. And we go up to, to Jamie Foxx's house. Now, thankfully, I had a spare outfit because some experiences I had been taught in the past just told me to always have a spare outfit when going to vaulting practice because you never know where you're going to go. And so that, <laughs> that awesome. paid off, you know. Yeah, yeah. That and anytime you're traveling, bring a swimsuit. You never know if there's going to be some place to swim. Yeah, um, I know. I've always done that. It's so weird. <laughs> but yeah. it always works. Yeah. And so, you know, we drive up this long driveway. Like, it's, you really go up this prestigious driveway to the top. And midway up the driveway, there's a fountain, you know. And then you go past that, and there's a bigger fountain and all these expensive cars <laughs> in the driveway and a giant house. And it's just like, honestly stunning. You have a view of the whole valley around you. And uh, we walk in and it's just like, you know, we feel so out of our element. This place is so uh, prestigious and he has all these people there who are, who are prestigious. And I think he even had um, some old civil rights activists, if I remember correctly. Um, Yeah. Who were there. Uh, at the party. And so Jamie Fox's thing is to bring these people together who would otherwise not meet. So like, it's so random that these vaulters would meet old civil rights activists at Jamie Fox's house, but that's his (laughs) thing. He likes to just make that mixture. So that's what he did. And so we're, we're talking with them for quite some time. And, and then we pose for a photo with Jamie and them, which I might have that photo somewhere. Actually, I know I have a photo of us all in his driveway. I'm pretty sure I could find the photo of us with Jamie Foxx. I think you uh, need yeah. to post that at least in your stories and I can forward it on my account so people can see it. That would be awesome. Okay, yeah, I'll try and dig it up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, God, such great guy. Really, really uh, chill, humble, amazing guy. Um, and yeah, his, his house is stunning. I mean, it was, it was such a random experience. Uh, to, to have that moment after that, it kind of just, uh, faded as, you know, vaulting went on and time went on, but, uh, you know, that happened quite a, a strange experience for sure. <laughs> well, and, um, when you were, uh, saying Jamie Foxx, I actually remembered, uh, one song that is from him. It's the one like, do, 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 the gold digger. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gold digger. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And then he has like blame it on the alcohol. I think is this old like you know early two thousands like oh. blame it on it. <laughs> you know that one like yeah. So yeah, I mean he's he's everywhere in in pop culture. So just go like you know search him and you'll find a lot. Well, the funny uh, thing is the story you're telling. It seems to me is like this typical 
only in America that could happen. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Like, uh, there really are a lot of unique opportunities here and things that just like pop up and happen. I mean, it's sort of, it really is a land of opportunity, but also a land of just randomness. Like things can happen at an instant and then you're just like, wow, okay, like that's cool. But why not? Well, uh, as I, I was talking with Christian about, I went to uh, to Georgia in 2015, and then I went one week to Miami, and this really was a week which just was about opportunities. I mean, okay, I didn't meet any celebrities, but I don't care so much about celebrities personally. It's For me, it's about the people, if you're a good person or not, and then I don't care about the money or what they own or anything. Yeah, because... In front of the world, everybody is the same. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. It's about your heart, right? But, well, yeah, I went to Miami, and I was sleeping in a hostel with a couple of different guys, and everybody's really nice and from all around the world. But, I mean, I was traveling alone as a girl. <laughs> so right, yeah. I was living in a bunk bed with a couple of guys in the same room. Everything went well, right? But it's like, I... I have never been in situations I had been there, which were awesome, really. I had a great time, but it's, yeah, really, um, it just happens in an instance, and you have no idea what happens, so have a spare outfit and a bathing suit, right? Yeah, yeah. See, it pays off to have that. You never know. Yeah, that, and that's why it has to be a good one. And maybe one from Kim, a good bathing suit with glitter on, so you look good in it, too. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who don't know, Kim, Kim Couture, a Swedish costume, vaulting costume maker, who actually does a lot of vaulting suits for Christian Roberts. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she makes cool outfits. Yeah. Well, uh, where do you get your outfits from then? <laughs> um, I actually get them from a variety of places. Uh, I think I've tried a lot of different seamstresses. I mean, I've gotten some of my compulsory outfits from Kim. Um, I've gotten, uh, I'm actually getting two freestyle outfits from a, a big vaulting uniform designer here um, this year named Kathy Shimak. Um, her daughter was actually Sydney Shimak, who was on our, uh, junior bronze medal winning team in 2019 at the junior Europeans. Wasn't um, she wearing like a dress with a lot of flowers? I think I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So she made that outfit. She made those team outfits and she makes like, uh, she, she makes a lot of good outfits. She just kind of, I think started out doing it for a few people and then it turned into a bigger thing. Uh, but yeah, she's pretty good. And then I've also had, uh, you know, actually a professional Hollywood person do my outfit once um, when I did a Black Panther routine a few years ago. Oh, um, my God. Do you have a video of that? Uh, I probably do somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I could probably find that. But you don't have it on, like, YouTube or your Instagram? <laughs> you know, funny enough, I don't. I definitely have pictures of me in the outfit on that uh, on Instagram. But, um, you know, in all honesty, I just need, like, a professional personal videographer because there's so many things that I wish I had videos and photos of but you don't always have somebody there to take them you know yeah and uh, also the hard part is that you want somebody who films and somebody who takes picture because taking pictures from cameras uh, when you're filming is not the same yeah and somebody who does it well because that's another thing altogether too yeah and does it well with vaulting it's like getting yeah. even a higher edge on that. Well, tell me about your photographer career because you're photographing vaulting, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that has actually come fairly, uh, recently within the last year. Um, it kind of started when I was working with that equestrian agency, uh, that started, the agency was started by somebody who used to ride at the same barn that I vaulted at when I was vaulting with Blake Dahlgren. Um, and, uh, this woman's name was, uh, uh, Yulia Brathkovskaya. Uh, I think her Instagram's like Yulia Brat. She's, you know, stood on pictures with me and on my Instagram, if you go back, you can find us posing with my horse at our barn. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the agency was basically kind of new and starting. And for a while I picked up an editing job for them and it kind of turned into this thing where I was like, Oh, you know, I kind of could see myself like doing this a bit more. And so I was like, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm going to invest in a camera and a drone and I'm going to start to see what I can do. And so I invested in these things and I, I just kind of started like, uh, for a while it was just taking photos of random things and, and videos and it's, um, you know, it's still a work in progress, especially on the videography end. I think I'm getting quite good and professional at the, the photography end and I'm definitely capturing good shots with the videos. Um, but now it comes into, uh, you know, needing to, be able to create a bit more storyline with the videos because right now I've just been playing around, right? Like, uh, for the video end of it, photography has been more of the career so far where I'll do product photography or I'll do, uh, photography for equestrian, um, uh, disciplines or such like that, uh, or even other random photography for workouts or cars or things like that with some people <laughs> here in LA. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically just started as a hobby and now it's kind of becoming a side gig. And I think I could see it becoming more of a main thing uh, once I have more time after, um, you know, the season is over. But it has at least been uh, lucrative enough to help me afford this season, you know. So it's been quite in that regard to push myself and become something different than I, I would have saw myself being like uh, with that. I always enjoy being in front of the camera. Um, but you know, I don't get many opportunities at that. So if I can be behind the camera and create cool content for somebody else, that's its own kind of satisfaction as well. That's so nice. And you seem to me like you're a person who, who, who enjoys making other people happy because otherwise you wouldn't having an own vaulting club and having certainly therapeutic vaulting because it gives you a lot, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's kind of funny, um, you know, to touch on this subject. Uh, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better term, a lot of people seem to, when they don't know me, maybe think that I'm going to pretty cocky D-bag or a-hole or something on my Instagram, right? Like <laughs> dancing with these like Russian women and posing on my horse in suits and posing with my car and <laughs> I just look uh, it sends a certain image right yeah um but you know that's it's something I enjoy like it's fun to create these scenes and these images I mean I I used to be um an actor for a while actually I did some commercials and, and shows and such and I could see myself going back to that if I ever stopped vaulting because I was pretty good at it um, like for a beginner and getting into it and there, I have the right contacts to progress. Um, but I just like to create scenes and create these images and, and do fun stuff. And I think people are going to judge you no matter what. So you might as well do stuff you're going to have fun with. Yeah. Um, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to return to the original point before getting lost in that note, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely prefer to make other people happy and to work on those things. You know, I think it's been a process because uh, being in a position where you are responsible for other things and other people, um, it was a learning curve for a while. I was really bad at decision making with it and figuring out how to like do the proper course of action. But honestly, I think that, you know, oftentimes you're going to be faced with decisions that aren't uh, always easy and you just have to pick the best one that you you can think of no matter how hard it is so moving forward with that it's it's become uh, kind of second nature to be able to work with people and make them happy and that's really I think where a lot of my passion lies so if I can figure out a way to uh, basically just never have financial worries then I can pre- like pursue that more I think you know I'm not doing bad financially but it's just like I want to get to a point where I could just be not caring about that at all. So I can pursue the, uh, the, the helping of other people and the, you know, facilitating, uh, opportunities for other people, because I think we're only here so long and it's important to take care of other people. Um, and also, you know, uh, on that note as well, I think it's been kind of nice to talk about it in the podcast about some of the stuff that I do, because, Uh, I don't really show a lot of the stuff that I do with other people just because it's sort of like one of those things that, you know, uh, it's, it's sort of like that Bible verse about, you know, don't show your left hand, what your right hand is doing, like, because God knows all things. I mean, for religious people, but it's basically what I'm trying to say is, uh, there's no need to brag about those things, you know, it's like, do it, help those other people. That's what matters. And then, you know, the rest of the time, it's like, I'll just do what makes me fun on my own Instagram because that's, uh, <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah, so. I like that. And also there is another part, uh, another part in that, and that is um, when you work with, with children and with, uh, for example, therapeutic uh, work, it might not always be suitable to show that often in social media as well uh, either because it's children and you should not expose them a lot in social media because you don't know if they want that when they're grown up and the consequences of that so i think it's not a bad thing on from from that point of view either and also as you said to give good and not to brag about it uh, i think there's quite a good saying from from the islam um that you should give uh but you should not like tell other people that you are giving because you're not doing it for you should do it from your heart and not for other people saying or seeing that you are good yeah absolutely yeah I, i totally agree with that yeah i think there's a lot of um of wisdom in uh in pursuing practices such as that you know um Yeah, I mean, you know, just basically always take care of other people. Try to take care of other people. Look out for those who who care for you and try to look out for those that you don't even have any affiliation with. You know, if you see, like, you're going down the street and you see a homeless person, if you can buy him a sandwich, go buy him a sandwich. You know, if you're, like, you're doing, if you can facilitate therapeutic vaulting, you know, do that. Like, like, do little things because a lot of little things have a big impact, right? And it will make you feel good about yourself inside. Uh, I think that is like the most important thing that you can go and sleep well during nights. You know, you have done a good job. You have done what you can. And I mean, 
it's not always about the big things, it's about the little things. That's buying a sandwich or a hot dog for somebody who might need it and wants it and is hungry. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, this is maybe counterintuitive to the point we just made about don't say anything, but it just reminds me about there's this on this drive I do every week up north. There's this um, this point about an hour before my destination uh, called Gilroy, where I usually uh, go through a drive through to get like some food at the semi healthy place, um, you know, the best I can do on a road trip. Uh <laughs> But for a while, I would just go in and I'd get food for myself and I'd be driving out and I have to make this U-turn once I come out of the parking lot. And there's always this guy standing there on the road with a sign uh, just asking for any help. And, you know, the first few times I just didn't remember he would be there. But every time I would just roll down my window after buying myself this whole dinner and I'd just be like, hey, man, you know, I think you need this a bit more than I do. Like, I hope you have a good day, this and that, and, and give him that. And then it's come to a point now where um, it's funny. I have all these road trip friends now. He's one of them. I have a few <laughs> gas people, you know, but I, I, uh, I do this, this route. And when I drive through uh, this restaurant, I'll always buy him a bowl now too, because it's just like, you know, I know he's going to be there and it's something you can count on like, you know, weekly. Right. And if I'm not going to come up that week, I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to be here next week, man. But like, you know, dude, like, uh, I hope you do well, you know, like here's a gift card to the place, like something that just like, I don't know, do, do a part, right? Like, and it's kind of funny, like road trip friends are awesome. And whether it's the gas station or the homeless person or whatever, you just like, you meet these people and they're all people, right? Like yes. it's easy to walk into a gas station, ask for gas and walk out, or like to see a homeless person on the side of the road and just like assume something about them. But like, you get to know them and it's like, you know, they're, they're people with stories too, and their own, you know, ways of living. And, and yeah, it's just cool to make that connection. I think there as well. And, you know, I'm a person who talks a lot, a lot, <laughs> and sometimes uh, I try to remind myself that every person has something, has a gift that, that it can give to you by just saying something that will make you think about something. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but it is just like a key. And you never know who can give you that key or keys. So I think it's really important to, as you say, just seize those opportunities because you never know when when they when you get them and 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 you never know when it comes like a year after or a month after and you're thinking about that situation is like oh I'm happy I took that opportunity um, and I'm not about bragging either but as you you say you get um, some stories in your mind and I I remember uh, my dad because uh, he was quite um, sick he had a brain tumor and uh, died in 2017 and the last years of his life oh it's fine it was hard and it still is sometimes but it's part of my life and it makes me made me who I am um, right but he in the end he had dementia I was living in a uh, in a in an elderly care home and he was not really old he was about 64 when he died I think and he was at this elderly care home and I was feeling that I wanted to say hi to him but since he had such a bad memory he could have a good day or a bad day or just like this hour is good and this is bad but it's very hard because he was living like three hours away from me so I couldn't get there every day and visit him also it was hard to visit him because yeah, you never knew in which condition or state of mind he was, if he would recognize you or not. 
or he would recognize me in some way. But yeah, it's another story. Uh, I just went there and sat with him and wrote a paper for school because I knew that if I would be there just the whole day, I would maybe find a window where he had a good, um, good memory or, or a good time where I could give something to him or just be with him. And I think this is just like this tiny little opportunity which I was thinking before I got there, should I even ask to do it, the elderly care home, or is it a bad idea? But then, like, when he died, or, or he even got more sick after that, I was like, yeah, it was such a good idea, I did it. And sometimes you think like, oh my god, it's a bad idea, why should I do it? Like you're buying dinner for a homeless man or woman. And you think maybe, oh, is it a bad idea? But then you go for it and then afterwards you think, well, it wasn't a bad idea. Because it was an idea and you just went for it. And I think sometimes really just go for those things you're feeling because inside you know it's right. And yeah. Also, just a side note, he was like the person who teached me that love uh, is not nothing that is like um, in your brain. Love is in the whole body. Because even when he didn't understand I was his daughter, he called me like the name was his ex-wife because yeah, he had dementia. Uh, he still um, had love. And that's like the greatest lesson he learned to me. Well, now we're getting deep here too, right? <laughs> oh yeah, but that's great. You know, I think that that's, uh, I personally prefer that. I like to go straight into, uh, you know, what makes a person a person versus like, beating around the bush with all of the, the small talk, because, you know, I, I just like to get to know people. I think the process of like, you know, uh, being formal with pleasantries and, and trying to make your way there slowly is, is a little overrated, you know, yeah. people need to connect more, you know, they need to like, like know one another and, and get to know one another. And yeah. Share those experiences. I really agree with you. And Sometimes people call me like a little bit deep, but I think the relationships that we can get into deep ish, uh, topics, they're the most valuable ones. They're the ones I treasure the most. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. This was the first part of an awesome three-hour long interview with Jeffrey Wilson. The second part will be uploaded within two weeks, and if you want to know more about Jeffrey's future vaulting plans and his way of looking at competing, stay tuned! If you have any questions or ideas for new episodes of this pod, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us through Instagram, where the name is The Vaulting Blog, or by email, which is thevaultingblog at gmail.com.